Hello and welcome to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, inspirational author, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, she's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. Find out more at rachelflick.com. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hi, friend. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Today is part two of my interview with Michaela Munn and Linda Zanaco. Michaela Munn pled guilty in 2018 to neglect of a dependent resulting in bodily injury or death. After serving six years in an Indiana women's prison, Munn is now free and speaks publicly about the painful sequence of events that led to her newborn son, Alexander Liam's death. She shares a message of hope and redemption for any woman who finds herself in desperate circumstances. In 2009, Linda Zanaco unexpectedly had her life turned upside down after watching a television news report about the tragic death of a young infant abandoned in a trash dumpster. The heartbreaking report made Zanaco resolve that she would do everything in her power to ensure no infant would ever die again without a name or a proper burial. As the founder of He Knows Your Name Ministries, Zanaco now works with numerous mothers to make certain that every infant who dies under similar unfortunate circumstances is recognized as a precious and important life. Zanaco is a popular speaker at conferences and retreats and has been interviewed on The Steve Harvey Show, Wish TV, Fox 59, The Indie Star, Life Today, In the Market with Janet Parshall, American Essence Magazine, and many others. Welcome back, Michaela and Linda. It was so powerful in our first interview last week, hearing your story. I'm so glad you're here again. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. It's really, an, yeah, it's it's an honor to just try and tell this story that is so compelling, um, mm. just in more depth. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like we could talk for far longer than we have time to today. So thank you for the gift of your time and your story. Last week, I kind of had the picture of an analogy of a sentence within parentheses. And on the left was Linda coming from one side and on the right was Michaela coming from the other side. And in the intersection was Alexander's death and um, the experience of burying him and Michaela's just redemption story that she experienced within the pursuing love of Jesus who came after her in darkness and in her suicidal ideation and um, with so much heartache and trauma. And so I think that this episode, it would be great if you guys would tell me more about that coming together. And um, Michaela, you said you reached out to Linda and you were you were ready to learn about your son's funeral and what she had done to honor his life. And what was that like for you to reach out for her? That seems kind of like risky and scary for a hurt heart, you know? And how did you get to the place where you were ready to go back to those memories, those photos of the funeral and talk to Linda about that loss? Um, at first, I was kind of like standoffish. I didn't really know exactly what her motives were. And I'm sure she probably felt the same way with me because it was just kind of weird. There's no way to actually answer an email or to actually have a textbook answer for that. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to prove that I had changed. And in order to do that, 
I had to make sure my actions were proving it, not just my words, but my actions. So I started going to church. I was reading my Bible more. I was asking her questions. And when uh, April 21st came around, that was the first time I ever met Linda was when she came to my hearing. I never met her. I've only exchanged emails with her and I only knew how she sounded based on some interviews that she's done and I was able to watch. So I didn't really meet her until that day. And she was on the stand testifying on my behalf. And I remember, I remember only because I was so excited and other emotions were happening at this point. But I remember (laughs) that they told me that, that I was, I was going home. And I said, I turned to my attorney. I said, what did he just say? And he said, Michaela, raise your wrist up because the bailiff's going to unlock your wrist for you. And I, I was just in tears. I didn't know how to feel at that point. The fact that I was even modified, the fact that I was considered was a blessing, but to actually go home and it was my birthday on top of it was just wow something that only God could do. There's no other way to describe it. And when I hugged her, I was in tears. I, she whispered something. I know, I know she did, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I was just so excited and I was just so like, I was ready. Well, then you get out here and out here has changed drastically in the past six years. So I was out of touch with everything. My mom handed me her cell phone and said, call your sister. And I didn't even know how to work it. So I'm trying to figure out all this out. And she has been nothing but gracious. She and her team have been so nice and so welcoming and have been helping me (laughs) figure things out from makeup to shirts to whatever, whatever I need, because I didn't know where to go. And then when I was able to finally see the funeral, that was really hard to see that the choice that I'd made not only affected me and my family, but affected more than that was hard for me. Because at that point, when I made those choices, I wasn't in the right mindset. And I was so selfish at that point because I was scared. I was in that shame, everything, all that inner prison that I had was being exposed. And I made really, really poor choices. And I accept that I did that, but I don't want to go back to that spot. So how am I going to change my thinking to not go back there? And I've made some errors since I've been home and went back to that thinking. But I had friends this time because I was vocal about it, call me out and say, that's not you. You're not that person. You know better. You know, that's not what he says that you are and pull and have helped me pull, pull me back out of that spot. My family has been tremendous in adjusting to me coming home. And it's just, it's different this time. Cause I know that if I go back to that spot, I don't know how I'm going to get out, but he already got me out once and he saved me and I have to help somebody else. So that way they can feel the same way that I do. And in doing so, I talk about my worst mistake because sometimes your worst mistake, your biggest regrets propel you forward for something better and greater. And this big mistake that I've done that I acknowledge that I've done is going to help someone 
not make the same mistakes and choices that I did. So why wouldn't I want to? That's a really beautiful perspective, right? That takes significant healing and reframing to be able to say that and to mean it. And I'm so proud of you for the work that you've done in that space to come from the woman who um, had a baby and put him in a dumpster to now telling a story of redemption and transformation and saying, you know, this is going to impact people for the good. Why wouldn't I want to share it? That is that is massive. And only in God's kingdom could he expand and multiply um, your pain into purpose in such a beautiful way. So that is, that's really big. Thank you for sharing that with us. Can I ask a little point of clarification? You mentioned your hearing and that Linda testified for you and you hadn't met her before. What was this hearing for? And Linda, what were you testifying on behalf of? So I'm going to just go back a little bit and say that um, after the funeral and then getting connected with Michaela through the year of our conversations, I could see her getting stronger and more purposeful and saying, like, I really, really want to be a voice to women in crisis. And so all the while I have been doing the work I'm doing uh, for the Safe Haven Law, education and awareness in our state and all in our country. Um, and I also collaborate with Safe Haven Baby Boxes, which originated here in Indiana, northern Indiana. Did they really? That's awesome. Yes. And so there right now are 114 boxes active in eight states. There are 11 states that have um, passed legislation. And 21 babies have been safely anonymously surrendered in these boxes. And they're healthy. And they all are with their forever families now. After 30 days, then they move into that stage. And I am a part of this movement that's going across the country that is the greatest option, I think, to number one, decrease infant mortality, but also to help at-risk moms have another option because there are mothers who, like Michaela, hid her pregnancy and need another option when the end comes of that pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. so the hotline of Safe Haven Baby Box has um, guided 122 handoff surrenders in our country. And so when you do the math, you realize this is one of the greatest solutions we have for women in crisis. So I'm all the while doing that work collaboratively. I have a baby that was um, found deceased in a park here her name is, I named her Amelia, claimed her and gave her a beautiful funeral. And her footprint, um, which I talked about before the Senate and the House of Representatives to um, change the law for the Safe Haven Baby Box, enhancement to the Safe Haven Law. Monica Kelsey, who's the founder of Safe Haven Baby Boxes, and I have been working very closely because I work with the problem and she works, she's the solution as far as I'm concerned. And so I have all of this in my mind and my heart. And I'm listening to Michaela and she's saying, I never want another mother to sit where I'm sitting. And I'm thinking to myself, we don't even have yet the voice of a mother who has been in that kind of crisis. We offer anonymous, safe surrender because that's what the law protects. And I'm thinking, do you really want to talk about this? And she said, yes. So from prison, Box 59 here in Indianapolis did a story where they interviewed me and they interviewed Michaela by Zoom in prison. So that was the documentation of her story kind of first out there. We had no idea at the time that her modification hearing for a reduced sentence was even on, like in the pot, in the clouds of possibility. 
But one day I got a letter from her attorney saying, I saw the story. I want to use it in court to justify that I think Michaela would be better served outside than inside. She's considered a model inmate and I think it's time for you to advocate for her. And I said, I absolutely will. So on April 21st, I, which was like she said, her birthday, I went to Wabash, Indiana, and I testified for her that I think she is changed, that I think her voice is going to be super important to help other moms, and that I have a ministry collaboratively that I can like let her be invited into to say, like, let's get going and use your voice to change the lives of other women. And that when that passed that day, I mean, like she said, emotionally, we all came unglued. I never, it was like the most thin space of heaven and earth coming. And I felt like we were in the courtroom of heaven because when the judge said, Michaela, you know, you're free to go home, bailiff, go over and take off her handcuffs. And she lifted her arms and opened her hands wide. I mean, the freedom was unbelievable. And it was the sweetest, sweetest day. So from there, she and I have been working on our message together, trying to see once as she slowly gets her life put back in place, what kind of time and availability does she have to craft her message, her testimony, and then share it with the world. And that's why we're sitting here with you. And it's why she's coming to a lot of my events. And she's just starting to really just dip her toe in the water of a new life living on mission and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth with her story. And she's doing it beautifully, not perfectly, but beautifully. <laughs> but I, I tell her all the time, I'm not doing it perfectly either. We're just vessels um, for God. And really, once we choose to abide with the king, we are his daughters and we can get a lot more done together than we can apart. I'm, I feel tears in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Like I could picture that moment that you were talking about in the courtroom and just the proclamation that the judge, you know, representing yes. the good father who judges us, right? Releasing you and saying, I forgive you. Yeah. I and, forgive you. You know, I think her attorney used the word mercy that day. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of James 2.13 that says mercy triumphs over judgment. And that was that day in court. I mean, it was just the judgment of this is over and it's time for mercy. And, you know, she's wearing new garments now because she's being made new, you know, and, mm. and I, I see like the importance for all of us, no matter what our trauma or pain or story is that revelation 21, five, that says, you know, he who sits on the throne, we have to acknowledge we don't, he does. He is making all things new. Yep. And that's what Michaela's living in and doing all the time. It's just living in her newness. You know, one of the things I'm so passionate about um, when it comes to post-traumatic growth and resilience is mentorship, that we need models of how to do this, that we can't grow forward into an image that we can't see. Mm -hmm. People perish for lack of vision, right? And yes. so you have to be able to see other women who have experienced hardship and who have walked through it and um, sat in their pain. And you two are such a beautiful picture of modeling that relationship of mentorship, of imperfection. I love the made up word, brutal, right? <laughs> the 
beautiful and the brutal, right? Mm-hmm. The beautiful hard, right. that there is um, treasures that are only found in darkness yeah. and you have to experience the suffering to harvest those gems. Yeah. And um, you, Michaela, whether you can see it quite yet or not, are a model for the women coming behind you. And you're saying it over and over again. I don't want another mom to feel trapped and shamed into abandoning her baby, right? And that there is a safe out for her if she needs that in that space of trauma. And so you are doing that work to be the model for those women. And you yourself and your relationship with Linda is a model for other women of um, how do I have someone walk forward with me as a spiritual parent in a way, right? And I just see, you know, the picture of the father when it says, you know, he hides us under the his wings, right? And I just see you like tucked up under Linda's wings. Like she, you've said, you know, she helped with makeup and clothing and these things with access. And she's like, next step for Michaela is a website, right? Like she's got a vision for you. <laughs> yeah. She's helping you to see that next step and to I'm achieve and to step to into. Death, actually. <laughs> well, it is, right? It's intimidating, change, sure. transformation. That's that's sure. intimidating and you yeah. are growing your spirit is growing into a bigger size right I, I call them my big girl pants it's like man I need a new size up uh-huh. like this this situation yeah. is challenging yeah. me and my old big girl pants don't fit and I need yeah. new big girl pants yes yeah. and so yeah it's scary right you're she's challenging you and giving you a vision for something bigger than was ever going to be before this tragedy and now the Lord has come and intersected into yeah. your life and yeah. he has turned the river of time and the things that have been spoken about you in generations before that's different now his mercy has been proclaimed over your life and your inheritance and so i just like i love this i love your story i love what you're doing and what you're investing in and i would love to have you ladies back in the future and talk more um and if there's a point when you're ready of just you know sharing that place of hurt that puts you in a position where people are like, how could someone do that? How could they abandon their baby that you could give a name and a story to that, to give compassion and empathy for um, that narrative and what that looks like. And for people to um, the judgment that you were talking about, right? Like you were the girl who had the answers. You were the go-to girl, right? So you could not have it together, you couldn't share about your trauma or your um, sexual assault or those kind of things because you're supposed to have it together. So I would love to interview you guys at another time and just have another opportunity to go into a deeper level of your story because there's so much. There so is. Much there's so much it. here. And mm-hmm. I think as um, Michaela continues to step out, there's going to be more and more story that develops in it. And um, I appreciate you saying that and giving us that invitation because this is not a one dimensional story. As you said, Mm-mm. this is so com- complex, but not complicated. There's the simplicity of the gospel on it. And the, you know, the mission statement statement of my church is preach the kingdom of the gospel and make others great. And I keep saying to Michaela, you know, like everything we do and say is we're discipling other women about how this is done and how women can love other women and champion them and come Mm -hmm. alongside them and help them get to know each other through the eyes of God. And then also live without shame because we can say, you know, we're imperfect too. And we all need each other. And it is a desire of mine 
to make Michaela great in this kingdom work to say, you have a testimony and I want you to use your voice and show other women how to use their voice. So it's the yes. discipleship of that that I believe is the game changer in our culture today. That is a game changer. Michaela, if people want to connect with you and learn more about your story, where can they find you? Uh, Facebook is the best place for me because we're still working on my website. Right, Amanda? <laughs> it says website under construction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I know when I did mine, it was like, oh, this is intimidating. And then I was like, okay, this is doable after that you put the work in, right? Because <laughs> right, it's this yeah, like right. unknown thing that you need somebody right. else to create for you. Yeah. Linda, how can people connect with you and your ministry? I'm all over social media under Linda Zanaco primarily. I'm on Facebook, He Knows Your Name, and my website is heknowsyourname.org. Awesome, everybody. This has been the Hopecast with Rachel Flick, and I'm so grateful to be able to share the story of transformation and just the divine intervention of a God who loves you. And friend, he loves you like Michaela, and he loves you like he loves Linda, and he loves you like he loves Alexander Liam. You are precious in his sight, and he holds you close in his heart. And I'm so glad that you were here with us today to hear this story. Um, would you rate, review, and subscribe to push the message of hope forward to more people? And um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at contact at rachelflick.com. Everybody, this has been the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. You've been listening to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. To find out more, go to rachelflick.com. While you're there, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. While you're online, you can discover more information about all of the platforms that this podcast is on. Also, be sure to click on the social media icons at the top of the page, and you will be directed to Rachel's social media sites. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, We would appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.